Divanovic, do you want to do your la 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 thing so you can see this? <laughs> Welcome to the Code Kitchen. Uh, today we have a guest, which is our first time um, actually doing a guest on this show. Uh, our guest is Darren from OutDev. And we're going to be asking him about his journey from being a, a worker in an office uh, to being part of running his own thing um, or with some partners. Uh, but, but yeah, so Darren, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Good to be here. Okay. So first off, I think the most logical start is what exactly is OutDev and what do you guys do? Uh, that's a very simple question with a bit of a complicated answer. Um, and I'll just go into that a little bit. So I, I, the easiest thing would be to say, you know, we're a group of young entrepreneurs, just a, a bunch of developers and a business mind wanting to to change the local development world. And so we just create software for anybody in need. But, you know, that that's a little bit vague and, you know, there's so many dev houses that kind of go through, we create anything. So, geez, in a, in a way, we, we target local businesses, um, small to medium sized enterprises with kind of low to no income. And that's our primary target market. Um, and from there, we just try to create solutions for them. So with our skill set and with our very low overhead of of needing to pay salaries, we can just go in with a with a very cool estimate, I guess, a, a breakdown with no red tape, and just you know create software the way we want to. And I think that's kind of a, a nutshell. Don't know if I went overcomplicated there, but um, yeah, it's 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 kind of hard to say what we do without you know more context around the question. <laughs> Sounds like you guys do quite a lot of things then. Yeah, I mean, so in a way, we have a, a split in our business. We have um, Daniel, my my first and um, the only business-minded business partner, um, <laughs> and he has quite a vast you know, soft skills, I'd say background in managing people and um, catering for people's expectations, which is quite a unique skill set that a developer doesn't generally have. And then we have two core developers, including myself, and we basically, with our skill sets, can do almost anything. So we make um, mobile applications, we make server applications, we make you know business-to-business -business solutions and uh, client-to-business solutions and even business-to-client solutions. So yeah, we, we dabble in all aspects. Um, and I guess one of the things that we kind of um, do very well is able to we're able to just go into a meeting into a client that we otherwise wouldn't know listen to uh, their problem and give them a solution that mm. is domain specific to what industry they're in and i think that's yeah that that's quite a big um strength on our side and and it's not really a development strength but more of a we have somebody that knows how to speak the lingo in almost any um sector i guess and that just allows your client to feel like wow that person really understands me and yeah it's kind of who we are 
It sounds like you guys are in the business of providing solutions, not providing software. It just so happens that you use software to provide those solutions. Absolutely. That yeah. No, that, that, that question actually delves in a lot deeper. Um, so I'm going to go on to, to who we were before um, and kind of how we started off because that answers oh. this question in a, in a really weird way. So we, we started off as F5 Solutions um, and we, we can get back onto that as to how that happened. But yeah, we started off on F5 Solutions and we kind of realized that the offering was far too vague of F5 by going out to a business and saying, hey, if you have a problem, we have a solution and don't worry about it, we can just do it. Um, which tended to actually scare businesses off because they didn't know necessarily what their problem was or what their solution could be. So then going to sure. a development house and saying, I have this unknown problem or this maybe problem, you know, I can, I'm going to give you full confidence and, and just let you do what you need to, to get it done. It doesn't really ring or vibe with them. So we had to kind of take a step back and go, you know, who is our target market? Is it big businesses? Is it small businesses? Or is it the individual? So we kind of realized that we aren't really targeting the mainstream uh, business market in South Africa. We're actually targeting agencies. And an agency it can be a small or large agency. So we're not going for an entrepreneur or a large corporate, just any sort of agency that has you know, for lack of a better word, agency over what they want and what they can do. So basically, they, we're, we're targeting more of a clientele that knows what their issue is and doesn't have red tape, you know, like a corporate red tape to say no yeah. to, to any answer we give. We just go, here's your issue, here's your answer, let's do it. And yeah, so that's our new approach to software and business development. That sounds quite liberating, actually. So you specifically target clients that you know you're not going to get tangled up into a million um, requisition orders and uh, waiting for permissions from higher ups, et cetera, et cetera. It, yes, exactly. And, you know, it's, it's one of the things that we it took quite a few people and quite a lot of brainstorming to, to actually get around what do we want to do? Who do we really want to target? Um, coming from a, a worker environment or being an employee before over multiple companies, I've had the experience of going into, you know, um, small businesses, large businesses, um, you know, red tape, no red tape, and just seeing where it comes from. But it didn't allow me in that experience to structure what I wanted. I always had the understanding of there are small, small businesses and there's large businesses. Large businesses always have red tape and small businesses don't generally have red tape. But with this whole refresh from F5 Solutions, we realized that, heck, small businesses can have huge red tape and large businesses no. can have no red tape. So where actually do we fit in? And yeah, uh, you know, figuring out that we, we require agencies just allows us to go, that's the type of person we want. And we don't really have much stress with the type of work we do because we know it will always align with what we want to do, which is, yeah, pretty great. So, I mean... And then the next question I would naturally lead into is, is how do you obtain businesses and how do you find these, uh, what you seem to define as agencies? Yeah. How do you find them and, and how do they find you? Uh, what's your marketing strategy around that? So there's obviously two ways to get business. There's word of mouth and there's online advertising and blasting who you are into people's faces. So with the latter approach of, you know, online, it we kind of failed there. We didn't have 
a, a an approach or an, a digital approach to going, hey, you know, we are if we are out there now, and this is what we do. Come to us. Um, mainly because the market these days is so saturated. You know, if you if you go and Google development house in Cape Town, you're bound to come up with 30 or 40 results. And in those yeah. results, who do you go to? So there's a huge saturation of, you know, the ability to find a, a development house. So what we eventually relied upon is literal word of mouth, bumping into the right people, being at the right place at the right time, and structuring the what we say and how we present ourselves in different ways to to almost lure people in almost you know you throw out the real being like here's who we are here's what we do you're looking at a person in the face with your genuine emotion and you want to work with them and you know a little while later we get a bit of an email going hey we want to work with you too so yeah the 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 main i think source of of all of our clients has just been word of mouth at least up until this point. So um, partially a selfish question. Do you work with people who are only in Cape Town or? No, not at all. Um, We do have some amazing international clients and also not so amazing international clients. (laughs) (laughs) I think, um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of, even then our international, those international clients came through contacts in Cape Town, but there is no, there's no boundary. Obviously, in the digital world, there is no geofence around where you can work. Um, and also, you know, we've we've not only looked for work, but look for employees abroad. Um, wow. We don't really define ourselves as where we are, but I must say, a huge lure for international clients is to say, hey, you know, you work in this tourist destination of South Africa, so if you ever want to come visit, you're going to have a good time too. And international clients love that because they're always on flights. And I have to ask this question because it's 2020. <laughs> have you found that COVID has changed that in any way? Has that been more um, more broad? Um, oh, good question. I think that COVID actually did a, a kind of a turnaround in the sense that because people can't go out there, you can't travel and you can't really be abroad, we've noticed a lot more local companies looking locally for uh, software solutions. Um, And that's mainly because, you know, as any company of any size, you always want to have the availability to either pick up the phone or to quickly drive to somebody and smack them on the back of the head (laughs) because they're not doing something right. (laughs) And I think that, you know, through, through COVID and, you know, if, if we were so abstracted that you can't even find us and you can't even get here, even internationally, you know, it leaves kind of a bad taste in your mouth of who are these people and how do we even get to them if something goes really wrong? And I th- yeah, and and through COVID, and obviously, you know, a lot of companies have been very negatively affected by COVID. So now, when r- looking for a new potential software provider or developer, the first question you ask is, how is it going to fail? You know, I've got no money in the bank. I don't have, you know, the ability to get this company and then have them fail and get another one and try and test. You know, we want the right one right now. Um, and that has comp- very diminished our, our international clients. And a lot of them have literally stopped emailing us because we're not close enough. So, yeah, uh, it's, it's a bit of a weird one. But COVID has both, you know, provided a platform where everything is more digital, but also removed the want to have broad digital, you know, boundaries. That's really interesting. 
So, so the, the funny thing is, I'm not sure, Simon, if you asked that question for a particular purpose, but I think on our side, um, Kaleidocode has never dealt with international mm. clients before. And we started dealing with international clients during COVID. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, or do I have to say the thing? I think I may have to edit out COVID and just say the thing. But um, the Backstreet Boys reunion, yes. <laughs> yes, the Backstreet Boys reunion. Um, so, yeah, and, and I think we had negotiations with them before, but we only really picked up when, when COVID hit, um, mm, I think mm. June, July, uh, with, with the client that Simon is with now. Yeah. And then, um, we've been apparently word on, on the down low, it's, this is a podcast though, um, <laughs> um, that is, is that we are getting um you know requests from other places um mm. and and so that's quite interesting and i've also noticed um if if you are on linkedin that you're definitely getting spammed by recruiters as well and they mm. they seem to be less um concerned about where you live uh, mm. nowadays so, so yeah. it's quite fascinating that it seems like it's almost had the opposite effect to you Absolutely. And I think that's, I think the first thing to say to that is congratulations on getting an international client. And that it just shows, especially in this trying time, that uh, Cloudacode is of a better value than most other development houses for it to be on the radar of an international client. So I think that is where the value is going. Like, you know, kudos to being a great company. But also on the other hand, like one of the things that we've noticed internationally is that the the general perception of hey if you want to get cheap you know developers go to india or go to pakistan but we've noticed through our international clients and, and talking to them that most of them have had huge frustrations with outsourcing to those regions yeah. and they've now turned to south africa as the new cheap outsourced development uh, country to go, you know, we do speak English very well and we speak a lot of international languages. We have a great travel destination and our prices are much lower than that of a European or a US standard. So, yeah, I, I think that South Africa itself is becoming a hotspot of where international clients want to uh, outsource. But I think the 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 want is is at an all time low at the moment. And if you do get a job from an international client, it's more about how good your company is rather than you know your international client just needing an outsource partner. I, I think there's definitely um, I think that's definitely fair, Dash. Uh, it's been very interesting to watch what's happened to software during the COVID times though as well, because we've seen quite um, quite significant contractions in some companies. But some software houses have bloomed in ways that I just hadn't expected. Mm, um, software seems to be have the software seems to have been the least hard hit of a large range of industries during um, coronavirus times. Um, yeah, I agree with that. I think the you know the hardest thing about <laughs> the hardest thing about um, the like especially for us, you know, if you had to say, hey, Darren, did you your company get hit by COVID? Yes, or you know, the Backstreet Boys reunion tour? Then yes. We absolutely did, but not in a sense of, you know, software has been less desired or we've been getting less requests. It's simply been a point of these companies that want to have these outsource providers don't have enough money now to get it. So our contracts got canceled where they did because of a lack of money from a client or the client will come to us and be like, hey, 
this is what it is at the moment. I need the software, you know, still at the same capacity, but I just don't have the funds coming in because all of my clients are not paying. Or, you know, so I, I agree with you. The software itself and the need for software solutions definitely hasn't subsided. But I think the the cost for it either is too high at the moment or we're just going to see, you know, a, a revamp of costing through the software development industry. And I think that's yeah. probably also why South Africa is looking very tantalizing for any company yeah. needing cheaper software. That's a very interesting observation to talk about the, the desire for software has increased, but mm. the prices have become prohibitive at the same time. And I haven't considered that until you said that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, dev DevOps and especially InfoSec. I mean, we, we all know these days that there is such a huge amount of exploits and people hacking and ransomwares that huge companies has been brought to their knees just because, you know, they accidentally left open a port or something. And I think that that has got the world focused, even people outside of the tech industry, the world is now understanding what it takes to have a good piece of software and a, and a, and a in, in inverted commas bulletproof piece of software and how much time is needed to make that rather than you know oh i quickly want this i quickly want that so yeah i mean i think also software development is going to be taking a much needed rise in in quality rather than quantity i think that things are going to be turning around a lot slower and, you know, we almost in a way needed all these attacks and stuff to show that, you know, software takes time and good software takes even longer. Um, and the, the world going to a instant pace of like, I instantly want my software, or I instantly want this to work, is it, it shows that it's not viable if you want something that's safe and secure and your data is secure and, you know, you own your data. People are aligning more towards that. So yeah, I kind of went on a little tangent there, but that's just kind of my insight for how software is is still such a huge impact and needed in the world. Yeah, I, I hope you're right. I have a suspicion <laughs> that we've only just started the journey of um, becoming more responsible. Mm. And I think we're, things are going to get much more painful over the next five to 10 years. And uh, But I do think you're right. People are starting to pay attention to that. Absolutely. I mean, you're, you know, and Rust will solve all of our problems. <laughs> I hope Rust will. I don't but like, the, the the more the more sophisticated your solution, the more complicated the problem is going to be. I mean, wherever you have digital uh, means, you'll have digital exploits, and and it's not like the people that are hacking are are some random folks. It's it's people that have been dedicated to that trait for years, and sometimes internal people leaking, you know, backdoors and operations. So. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to tell at this stage, but I do think it will take quite a while. Yeah, and I think there's going to be um, a hard acknowledgement that software is deeply entangled in the situations it lives in. Um, so if you look at the, the most recent hacks, uh, they would come out in the newspaper and people would be like, oh, it's, uh, it's deep state Russia has uh, taken over a large portion of the internet and broken into this company. And then four weeks later, it's like, yeah, it turns out it was this kid in Australia in his basement with a cell phone. Twelve year old. Yeah, yeah, and he got in by a social engineering attack. Yeah, that I mean, geez, that's a huge point. Eh? A lot mm -hmm. of these companies are saying that it's not a firewall or a loophole. It's somebody that went inside the premises with a USB stick, mm -hmm. or you know, they they somehow after a lunch or sleeping with somebody got their password, and now they have full access. 
Yeah. So how do you prevent that? I don't know. But that <laughs> that's, I think, digressing from our conversation. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, I, I think one of the things I wanted to, to poke at was, yep. I mean, you mentioned that it, you try and build solutions as cheaply as possible for businesses that may not usually be able to afford that sort of thing under a different circumstance. Mm. Would um is are, does this inform your technology choices are there particular choices you've made with regards to tech that are related directly um to that target demographic good question i think the anything that isn't php is viable oh <laughs> 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 uh, no that that's out the way um no i i don't think that our idea of going to low cost, you know, was informed by anything else than a desire to help um, our local economy and help everybody that just needs it. I think that the only way we're able to do it is is twofold. One, we have such low overheads and such a low amount of employees, and all of our employees at the moment are open to pay cuts that it doesn't you know, our income can be absolutely minimal and we can still be churning out really good products. But also on the other hand, we're so comfortable with the tech that we use and our whole tech stack has been, you know, we've been using it for like as a company now for two years, but privately for like five years plus that, you know, if, if a person comes to me and says, I have this very complicated problem, I'll be able to find very quickly a solution within the tech stack that I have that isn't as complicated as the problem that they're talking about, um, which then allows us to go, okay, cool. You know, you, you have this problem. Let's say you want to monitor the cold storage for temperatures or something. Cool. We'll set up a, a little microservice and the language that we choose on a server that we host or something that will automatically pull this data and give it to you in a way. And with that, you know, it, it doesn't cost us at all to create that or to host it. So there's no overhead for us. It just costs our time, which means the faster we do it, the cheaper it is for us and the cheaper it can be for our client. So I think that we've, we've, we're not taking the enterprise approach where, you know, you create, you know, you create a project and when you pull in a library, you have to create documentation for that library. You can only pull a certain version. You have to put it on a private NPM repo and blah, blah, blah. We just go, cool. You want this? We pull this library, we do the work, get it done for you. And that's it. So that's, yeah, that's where we fall into. So it sounds like working software over comprehensive documentation, some kind of rapidly moving agile approach. <laughs> If you see my projects now, they're fully documented. I think that um, I had to get into the habit very fast of when you create something, you create documentation for it and you create full documentation for it. And I think that um, really removes the whole behemoth of making documentation for ready-made code, which is nobody mm. wants to do. But then if you create documentation but full documentation for just bits of code that you're immediately working on then at the end of the day when you turn around you look at your documentation it's all of a sudden five pages big and you almost done nothing yeah i do a similar thing hmm. sorry divan was that was that your question was that an answer yeah i'm, I'm just talking along those those technological lines i, I hmm. still have a feeling that you guys specialize in a particular type of technology and, and you just use that to solve your solutions yeah and you work in spaces where someone's not really forcing you down a particular path saying use rust uh, for example hmm. or saying use python 
Yeah. You're like, you come in there to a business and you say, I'm going to solve your problems. I have this tool set that I know very well. And that's what I use. Absolutely. So the, the first thing that we do before we go, well, before we even think about going to a business and we look at ourselves and we go, what type of work can we do as our dev? The, the main point that we make is our work is modular which means you're, you're not tied into that, you're tied into the usage of that. You know, we, we, if we make a website from Vue, you're not tied into now only using Vue for the rest of your life. We will abstract the code. So it's Vue as a front end, TypeScript as the, as the intermediary, and then connecting to an API. And because we've researched and we've done uh, all our due diligence on it, we know that Vue isn't a PHP framework. It's a, you can put Vue in on top of Angular. You can put it on top of paying HTML, you can SSR it, you can do whatever you want. So that type of mentality goes in from every type of uh, product that we create. Does it, can it go to the client and can they own it? One, can, is it written in a way that if they get any other development house, they can just take it and run with it? And then number three would be, is it written in a way that in five years time, if we're still the development house, we can just pull that project down and create another little module that adds onto this framework and then just push it up and get it done. So that's kind of where our head's at with everything. And when you create such a modular um, way of development and then all your frameworks feed off that type of design, you know, we can go into any meeting very comfortably and go, we're not going to work against your team. Okay, you guys are like Angular, fine. We will kind of work with that, but we're still providing our own tool set like any other software house would use. But we can say that you're not tied in though. This isn't the make or break. This isn't your future. This is what you have right now. And a lot of companies love hearing that, you know, they're not tied into something now because a lot of the companies that come to small development houses have come from a background of, oh, we went to this development house and now whenever we want to change, we have to make a change request. And then three meetings later in two weeks time, we get like an invoice and, you know, why have that when what a company really wants is that they'll have a change request right now in the next day, it's already done and they get an invoice for six hours, not 32. So yeah, that's where we're pivoting from and, and trying to completely own that kind of sense of we're not so agile that we're going to screw over your entire business, but we will allow you to continue the way that you want to even after we've left. Yeah. Okay, before we move on from this one, can I... Um... You've spoken in quite philosophical terms around this. Uh, do you have a default tech stack that you use? So you've yeah. mentioned Vue, you've mentioned uh, Firebase previously. Sure. So I, I, I guess my very easy to go to and can make anything from tech stack would be uh, from a website sense, uh, definitely Vue.js um, without any compromise. Uh, from a back, uh, back end, uh, Node.js if we're going to create any microservices or if what I've just figured out is a lot of um, software as a service APIs, you know, they either have very bad endpoints or no documentation or the way that you implement it is weird. So we've started creating microservices on our dedicated server in Node.js that acts as a um, an abstracted proxy, I guess, to these APIs. So it's just one call to our server and then we don't have to worry about cores or any backend issues. Um, and then with uh, mobile development, Flutter, uh, Flutter is 
like a number one it's making huge strides in the industry and yeah like i have created so many apps off that that i can almost create anything that a person would want um and i guess it's just you know even if you're not working sitting down and creating new projects creating new problems for yourself and trying to figure out how mm. what you can do you know solves that problem um and if it can't then you know find a new tech but if it can do it right <laughs> yeah that sounds like a very a very comfortable tech stack i'm, I'm quite envious it sounds very nice um and, uh, and i guess that's kind of the, one of the bigger difference between being an employee and being an owner, I guess, is that as an employee, you get told what to do, you get told what tech stack, and if you ever want to go out of it, you can, you know, you have to be like, cool, I need to find my time, I need to find a way. But as an owner, although it becomes with huge risk, you know, we can just go, actually, now we're going to do this. There's been many times inside a project where I'm sitting here and going, wow, this Firebase backend isn't supporting. I'm just going to quickly spin up a microservice on our dedicated server, start charging these people X amount, and I can do that without asking anybody if I should. So that ties uh, quite nicely into the next question, I think. Um, it sounds like powers and power and control of your own destiny is one of the things that uh, you value from working on your own. Are there other things that made you want to step out and, and do your own thing and take control of your own life? What were the things that drove you to leave being a, a desk jockey? Desk jockey. Cool. <laughs> uh, sorry, Duvan, you've been really quiet. Um, is there anything you wanted to add before I get into this? Uh, no. Um, okay. I'm directing Simon to take some questions. That's why. <laughs> okay, cool, cool, cool. I, I just want to make sure we, I'm not overriding everybody here. Um, sure. I think that. The, the the best thing to to uh, to answer this question would be to give you a direct what happened. So my last the last company that I worked for as an employee was the first company I came to in Cape Town, and I think I worked there for like kind of two and a half to three years, maybe a little bit more. Um, and it got from a company that was huge. We had like, what, 20-something employees um, to, to, by the end, a company that had four employees, but still okay. doing the work as if it was the first time. So we got to a point, wow, I at least got to a point where I'm like, you know what, this company is weird. We're doing things morally wrong. I don't really want to touch into exactly what they've gone into, but... Yeah. I felt that the the work was morally wrong. The people that were being that were working was being treated wrong. We were being paid wrong. Our clients were being respected wrong. Just everything was wrong to my feelings. Um, coincidentally, like at the time, uh, my now business partner Daniel started as a project manager inside the the same company. Um, and he was brought on with a whole lot of promises and stuff, um, which obviously just didn't come into fruition. So the one day, um, we weren't even friends, hey? uh, we just sat down and we were like, you know what? I just looked at him and I'm like, Daniel, you know, I can do so much better than this. If I ran a company, I could do so much better than this. So he looked at me and he was like, well, why don't you run a company? <laughs> and I, I was like, you know what? I don't really want to. Um, you know, I'm a developer at heart and I'm a developer at mind. I don't have the ability to find jobs to do uh, business, I guess, to do accounting and financials and worry about tax. Who wants to do that? So he looked at me, he says, well, if you make me your business partner, I'll do all that for you. And lo and behold, that day started F5 Solutions. Wow. Yeah, we just we just realized that 
we either go to another job or we start our own. And I guess we just started our own. And it was, yeah, one of the things that you kind of, <laughs> one of the questions that you really need to ask yourself before uh, starting a new business is who is financing you? And do you have enough in your back pocket to yeah. have no salary for a couple of months? Uh, to which our answers were nobody and no. We had nobody financing us. We had no, we each didn't have huge amounts of money in the bank. We just needed to get out of what we were doing and we needed to do it fast. So, yeah, that was the transition. <laughs> from terrifying. It was extensively terrifying. Um, <laughs> but what, you know, talking about it now, you know, I could almost slap myself old Aaron's head and be like, what the hell were you doing? But in that moment, you know, we were we were in honeymoon phase. We were like, fuck, we're starting our own company, man. This is going to be the best thing ever. And we fooled ourselves believing that starting your own company was the best thing. And right now, of course, I wouldn't take that thought back, but we did it all types of wrong. Um, but yeah, thankfully, yeah, I think you could have done better. That's okay. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, luckily, the 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 next week we got our first client, uh, first paying client, and we thought that you know, geez, one week out of it, we already got a paying client. We have already done good for ourselves. But <laughs> it turns out that when a client knows that you're their, they're their, your first client and, you know, they will take full advantage of that fact. They will strong okay. arm you. They will tell you what your prices are. They will tell you how valuable you are because you have no benchmark. And, you know, a kind of a year down the line, we were broken people. We were absolutely broken emotionally spiritually mentally because this client was probably the worst thing and the best thing that ever happened to us the best thing because we grew exponentially i think that when daniel and i sit down and we talk about it we think there is no way even though we went through the the, the toughest times where he would come to my house at 1.30 a.m. in the morning to console me because I've broken down crying in front of my keyboard because I have no idea what more I can do. But our client is still awake and still pressuring us to get that project done. You know, that's the type of environment we were in for months at a time where I got like just over two hours of sleep per day. Um, but again, that is what has allowed us to create proper documentation to create bulletproof contracts to really think about where we're going how we're doing it to really think about our prices and to be able to value ourselves and put a meaning behind those values um, and without that shitty client we would have never been able to get there yeah. but on the flip side i i wouldn't let my worst enemy go through the experience that i went through just to get to the point that i'm at now <laughs> it was wow. it was far too hard it was far too tough i think that the the biggest thing i learned about being an owner and being an employee is that as an employee even when i was employee i didn't know just how protected i was um, from our clients, from being paid, from anything. As an employee, you're probably the most protected things. And I think that if I had to look back on the pre my previous self as an employee, any complaints that I had at that moment, I could be like, that is invalid. That is so superficial. Oh, you're having a bad day and you came to the office and now you don't want to work. 
superficial. Oh, you know, you had to work that one weekend in that month, superficial. Everything about it's superficial. Like I can tell you now that I've gone through a period where I haven't been, I haven't had money put into my bank account for three months. And I hadn't done anything in three months because COVID hit everything and we had nothing. And what do you do as a business owner with no income where you as a person still have to pay rent, still have to pay all your fees and stuff? It's a it's a pretty tough spot. So, you know, being a business owner, sure, you have the freedom of life. I have the freedom to work whenever I want to. I can walk outside now and go swim if I wanted to. It doesn't matter, pretending this was Monday. It didn't really matter. But at the end of the day, or at the end of the month at least, that's when your stresses start coming in of like, oh man, where does my next paycheck come from? Who was our next client? And and how do we retain them in a way that they're paying us every month, even though we're doing very minimal work? And I think it's that balance and that juggle of of life and and work that is so hard to grasp at as a business owner because you know you could plan as well as you can and you can everything on paper could be going perfectly but then that it takes that one thing to just you know swap your feet from under you and your entire life is in turmoil and not just your business life your personal life too because there's no distinction between the two it's all the same thing yeah <laughs> so I gotta admit, you make this whole thing sound absolutely mind-bendingly terrifying. Um, I assume there's a whole lot, a whole lot of positives to this too. Otherwise, you would have gone um, and got a job and and quit your business. So, do you oh. feel the whole thing was worth it? Yes, I don't think that I would be as strong or as competent as what I am at the moment if it hasn't been for this. You know, if you had to say, ask, you know, Darren, was there any time that you, 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 you were going to go get a new job? Yes. Heck, two weeks ago, I was speaking to my business partners being like, guys, I'm sending my CV out and I'm going to get a job. You know, this is it. Um, I can't continue anymore and I have no money. Um, and then all of a sudden, we had this new client. And now all of a sudden, that seems superficial. Like, why did I even think that? <laughs> so <laughs> I think that if if you maybe in the future if if I'm I don't know I'm making millions and 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 I look back and I you know the hardships are just a distant memory I'd be one of those people going you know owning a business is the best thing and never look back and you always want to do it but I think that that would be unfair to anybody that needs to start a business I think that being where I am at the moment and going through all these hardships this is the perfect time for me to say that you know, the, the easiest way to start a business is to get an investor, sell 30% of your total shares to the investor or give it to them. They give you 2 million rand and you use that over two years. You know, that's a very easy way to start a business. But we didn't go down that route. We didn't have an investor. We don't want an investor. We didn't ask yeah. the bank for any money, nothing like that. We Everything that we've done is solely out of our own pockets. And my business owes me so much money because I put all my salary back into the business. And, you know, that that I think is the scary part. And that's probably my projection of, you know, no money, no blah, 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 that we made it hard for ourselves because we didn't want anybody to own anything of us. But on the flip side, now that I've got a playing client, I, at least, and, you know, I've got some money in the bank account, I can look back and go, that was the better way. Because right now we don't have anybody that we need to get any confirmation from nobody sitting in our business meeting saying no this is the way i want it and where's my money we are doing it all on our own and i think that that is so liberating at the end 
and knowing that looking at the app store and seeing my products on there, although it's a client product, but like seeing that I made it and our yeah. business name is on there, there's, I don't think there's any other better feeling than that. And, you know, when I'm working like 16 hours a day, it's not that I'm working for somebody. I'm like, no, screw this shit. This isn't worth it. I'm working and knowing that every letter I type is a value and everything that I publish gives me something directly back that I get to share with my partners. And there's no way that I'll let that feeling ever go. And that makes me want to work on Saturdays and Sundays, you know, it makes me want to provide and give more because there is so much more meaning behind it than ever would have if I was just an employee. Sure. So it sounds definitely like running a business, especially the way that you've chosen to do it, um, is, is probably the hardest way. Um, bootstrapping, uh, pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. Uh, but I mean, is there anything? And, and it sounds like you have no regrets, though, even though it's difficult. Yeah, no regrets. It's the most rewarding way, to be honest. It's the hardest, but most rewarding. Yeah. Um, I mean... It sounds like you're never going to go back to working for, for another boss, even though, well, working for a boss or working for someone else, even though that seems to be an easier path in, in some of these cases, especially when it comes to things like uh, stability. Absolutely. Well, you know, there's, there's my, my wants and then there's just reality. You know, if I get myself in enough debt and I'm, it's unrecoverable and I'm not getting any clients in my business, then I have no other um role to play than as an employee i'll have to, i mean it's not like i have to give up my business i'll still be a business owner but i'll just be working for somebody else and i think yeah so you, you, it's not like you you lose yourself in the sense of i'm now going to work for somebody but i never want to do that um you know once you've been in a position where the work you do is for yourself and that value is there then when you do work for somebody else that value isn't really there and you kind of you know i i started mulling over what am i doing am i now selling my time am i selling my ip am i selling my skills how you know how do i personally uh, reconcile why i'm going to work for somebody else and what would it take so yeah, like personally, I wouldn't ever want to work for anybody else for those reasons, but in a very practical and pragmatic manner, if that has to be, then that has to be. I just got to bite the bullet. Do you think this is something that's related to your own personality? Um... Yeah, you know, I, I, I do believe that there are individuals that wouldn't be capable of going through the amount of stresses and hardships because why you know if you're if you're a good developer mm. and uh, you know in contrast you know if if you're a very good developer and you go work for a top tier company and you're earning a hundred thousand rand a month then i then i come to you and i say hey man why don't you start your own business where you earn ten thousand rand a month but you know you're doing everything for yourself the person's going to look at me and go that's that's not what i want you know, and, you know, if you ask anybody that in that phrasing with that context, somebody who has a job, like, why would anybody do that? Well, it's the hope for the future. It's the build up. It's, it's you turning that 10,000 into 200,000. 
But the thing is, the effort required to get from point A to point B as a business owner, as you know, just building your skills in a business and, and being paid more because you're more valuable, it's easier to be an employee. And not many people would want to transition from that. And that hugely comfortable environment where you have PAYE, you have, you know, your benefits and stuff to nothing. And now you need to all set it up yourself. So, yeah, you know, if you have the personality where you're like, what I have is good and it doesn't need to change, then, you know, that's it. That's fine for you. And we need people like that. I need employees like that. But then you get a certain subset of people where, you know, <laughs> hurting yourself feels great. You know, finding that challenge <laughs> and being like, but I'm going to get nothing for this, but man, I'm going to give you the best result ever because and then the the value of what you've done is less monetary and more that that personal sense of growth and well-being and man you've just done something right you know that's where i fall into the stuff that i do is because i want to do it not because i need to and i guess that's kind of what helped me start a business you know i wanted to have something better i wanted to start a business where when I have employees, it's going to be so much better for them. And I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, scratch until I bleed right now. So that in the future, I'll have something so stable and so good that nobody would want to leave it. Yeah. What I think is interesting is we, we work in an industry that is essentially a a lot of people get fatigued as it is. um, Mm. And, and and certainly I've found myself at, at the end of very long days going, jeepers, this is this is a crazy industry. You have to keep up with stuff. Mm-hmm. Um the hours are sometimes longer than than they should be. Mm-hmm. And 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 that's fatiguing as it is. And then it sounds to me from most people I've talked to who run their own business that that's a lot of work too. Do you think this would have been easier in India, any other industry to start a business, uh, you know, selling hot dogs or something might have been less time consuming? I mean, wow, that's that's quite a cool analogy that you're that you're putting, you know, does does the stresses of business translate to every sector? Um, You know what? In most cases, I think so. You know, it doesn't matter what you're doing. If you're making hot dogs or you're selling software at the end of the day, you need somebody to pay you. Um, And I guess, you know, if you're not being paid and you're making the best hot dogs or making the best software, you're going to, you know, this, you're going to have the same sleepless nights. You're going to have the same wonder and worry. Um, Whereas, you know, a person, I, I personally know that there are some software developers making almost nothing. And there's probably some craft hot dog makers that are making more than that person, you know, and is it fair to say that now anybody's worth more or stressing more? I don't know. Um, I, I do think that there is a limit to that, you know, as a, as a individual hot dog maker, you, you're not going to be selling your, your services. Like you're not going to be selling 30,000 hot dogs a day internationally type thing. But if you did, that will be another huge burden of logistics and stuff. Whereas software development, you know, I could be one person and selling 30,000 pieces of my software internationally and not feel that burden. So it's 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 a it's a weird apples versus oranges, but still in the same basket comparison. Um, but no, I I don't think that if you're truly worried about um, your your craft, that you'll never have a moment where you're good enough. I think you know if you're a, a software architect and you're truly passionate about what you do, you're always going to have the worry of like 
am I doing it exactly right? Am I doing it correctly? Is this exactly what the person wants? And I guess in the same regard for a, a, a craft hot dog maker, you know, it's, is this what my clients want? Am I doing the right thing? You know, do these sauces mix? Does this bun taste good and feel right? So, man, I think stress is all around. Yeah, I mean, I, I was thinking more of the cognitive load of having to run a business plus doing all the tech stuff on top of that. I, I think those are two ah, okay. like, highly stressful things on the human brain and, and you're doing both. Or well, does your business partner yeah. play a lot into that? I think that this is now where the huge strengths of and differences between Daniel and I come in. So I am the software architect and the, the, the logical mind, I guess. And that is what I do solely. And, you know, if we get any business related emails, it doesn't even come to me, even though I get CC'd in, I guess. But there's a huge flip side on that of what is business? You know, what is required to actually run your business? Because you can be a software developer without running a business. And running a business means tax. <laughs> I think that's the worst thing. It means tax and payroll and speaking to the government and, 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 and. I think, you know, one of the, one of the examples I can give is my mom, who, who is running her business as a principal, as a teacher, and as a business owner all in one. And I have absolutely no idea how she does that because she does her own books. She you know, walks and talks to the teachers. She has meetings with parents all in one day. And I'm like, how do you do that? Whereas with my business, Daniel is the person who handles almost everything that that isn't tech related. So if there's a tax query, if there's a payment query, if there's a business meeting, if there is anything along those lines, that's where Daniel will come in and completely save the day. So much so that I almost don't know what's happening on our books. I'm just trusting him absolutely completely that he's doing it right. Just like for him, he doesn't really know what's going on in the tech stack and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But he has to unequivocally rely on me to be able to get that out and, and solve somebody's problem. So I don't think one person or, you know, although you can burn yourself out trying, I don't think one person can run a business. And in the same breadth of that, I don't think two people doing the exact same thing can run a business. I think that, you know, if you're a developer and you have a developer friend and you want to start a business, find a business person to help you start your business. But, you know, don't, don't be something that you're not or else you're going to find yourself in a position where you're, you've all of a sudden got all these problems that you didn't even know existed, but you have to solve them. And I think that's a very scary place for anybody to be in, especially when it's the government saying you need to solve this problem. Then, you know, there's, there's, there's no turning back from that. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, so it, it does sound like uh, that, that is what I expected was the answer because that that's kind of the the question i was going for was i mean that the technical side is so difficult mm. um that it tires people out on an, just not focusing on the business part um so so it, it kind of sounds like it really did help having having that extra partner and it would have been maybe have killed you if you didn't have that partner <laughs> I mean, we, we've got an amazing tax company, um, just to give them a free shout out, Pose, use them, they're the best, but they, they send us mails 
that I question. I'm like, what the heck is this value? What is this number? And I'll go to Daniel and be like, yo, dude, what is this? And he's like, don't worry. I've already got that second bank account with this amount of money, with these finances. I've already got the rent covered and this and that. And I think that if I had to worry and have that on my head and shoulders at the same time that I have development and, and how to abstract something on my head and shoulders, I wouldn't have survived. I would have probably lasted a month and then realized that was too much for me. Wow. Yeah, that's, I, I can honestly say that. Like, you know, I was actually, I've spoken to many people, including my mom, the business owner, and saying like, you know, this is how I work. I am the technical. Daniel is the, the business orientator of mine. And now every time I speak to my mom and she, she comes at me with a problem or a business problem, she says, I wish I had a Daniel to sort this out for me. And I think <laughs> that just that phrase speaks so much of this person who's been in a business for most of my life, I'd say 21 to 25 years doing the exact same thing. Now at this point saying, I wish I actually had somebody to do this for me. That's, that should be the, the ultimate justification of why you need different minds running the same business. Awesome. Um, speaking of complicated business problems, mm. um, OutDev has only been OutDev for a very short while. It used to be called <laughs> F5, F5 Solutions. solutions. Yeah. Um, until you got, uh, what is it, a phone call or an email or, or what it was? Oh, we, we, uh, yeah, we, we got, um, so yes, we started F5 Solutions thinking that F5 means refreshed, of course. And the, the real title of it was Refreshed Solutions. That was kind of our name of sitting there, Daniel, I sitting there and going, man, we could refresh this whole industry. So <laughs> lo and behold, we had a cool name. Um, so, you know, to register a business in South Africa, you have to go through the CRPC and, and um, forward your name as a nomination for what you want to have. CRPC does a background check, checks if everything's okay, sees if that name is valid and goes, yes, you can have it or, you know, no, you can't. At the end of the day, they said, you know, this is a perfect name. You can have it. And we started trading as F5 Solutions. Up until about half a month ago, we, we got a random email in our, in our inbox um, saying that, hi, uh, we are a very large legal firm representing a very large international software company. Um, we noticed that you have the phrasing F5 on your branding and website. And due to that, you have um, pulled services or you've pulled clients away from our, our, our client and we immediately are telling you to cease and desist and pay us back any sort of fees that you may have, you know, or any sort of profit that you may have uh, incurred from using our branding. So, wow, that was, a, that was a very hectic email going like, holy shit, after all of this, after a year and a half or two years or whatever we've been running, you know, all of a sudden this, this company is now saying, actually, you shouldn't be. And I think the first, you know, bunch of jumbles in your mind is, who the hell are you? Why do I care? I'm in South Africa, you know, and and I've already been trading for a year and a half. Why are you, you, you know, worrying me now? So it turns out that something that I didn't know is that our South Africa's copyright law falls under the jurisdiction of the U.S. copyright law, which means that anything copyrighted in the U.S., is defaultly also copywritten for South Africa, which what? we didn't know. Yes. 
Um, so if a comp like if an international company in the US creates a patent or a trademark for something in the US, we can't create the exact same trademark for South Africa because we fall under the same negotiation and trade rules as them, which is silly. And South Africa is trying to get out of it. But at the moment, that's what we're just left with. So they have the patent and copyright for the use of F5 inside a title branding anywhere. Um, it kind of sucks, but hey. Wow. And one of their one of their statements was, although your F5 solutions and that is a title on its own, you have used the the phrase and the the logo F5 exclusively. And because of that, because you use that exclusively, we are claiming uh, copyright infringement of the phrase F5. Um, so yeah, we went to lawyers, uh, lawyers here, IP lawyers specifically, because I also realized that different lawyers do different things and you can't really go to a civil lawyer for um, intellectual property related things. So we went to an IP lawyer and the IP lawyer was like, hey, yo, hold on, let me just check this all out for you. So he got back to us saying that, yep, you know, although that they're an international company, blah, 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 they actually have a um, premises in South Africa, in, in Pretoria, should I say, with that patent on, with that copyright. So unfortunately, y'all need to change your name. <laughs> um, and yeah, that was the catalyst. And that's, uh, you know, the, you, you could almost ask me, hey, you know, did that change or, you know, how did that affect you? And I think ultimately, although it was a, you know, a big company giving us this big, scary legal email that it came at just the right time, we needed a refresh and a rebrand. We needed something to go. We're not F5. F5 is a business to business company. And that's that's a long gone. We're not that anymore. So then we were like, you know, what? regardless of if we fight back or not, regardless if anybody pays or not, we're going to rebrand. Let's just do that now and get to a better name and a better business proposition rather than what f5 was and yeah after a few drinks and a lot of collab we eventually realized that we are outsource developers and the best name for that is outdev awesome and i'm guessing you are redoing your website and you are going to reroute to it using a nginx proxy <laughs> Nginx, indeed. <laughs> I have, <laughs> I've gotten about four or five microservices that I just use Postman and one little request, and it automatically sets up microservices, uh, PHP websites uh, for WordPress, and also custom sites, um, all through Nginx, all through getting automatically getting um, certificates and HTTPS, and automatically redirecting them to HTTPS. So yes, we have our F5 domain and still that's going to be there for quite a while. And through Nginx, just redirect that to the same server, just a different name. But so, yeah. so not only did Nginx, does Nginx redirect your traffic, it yep. actually sent the letter to tell you to redirect your traffic. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. I think uh, I think you're touching on the nuance of who exactly sent us the cease and desist letter. And yes, the, the, the big mean we're using the software of the big mean company to circumvent the software of the big mean company. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Very good. Okay, Darren. great. Darren, it was great to hear your story and it was definitely very interesting. Uh, I think we yeah. we learned a lot. Um, it's great to tell it. About how we don't want to start businesses. Or if you have like, you know, if your dad gives you a million rand, then sure, do that. Be, be yeah, the company yeah. that started with a million and now has 10. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a better proposition. Um, great. So... New to the Code Kitchen is a thing that we do when we wrap up. Uh, mm. We ask, what is cooking in your kitchen, Darren? At the moment, macaroni and cheese. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> Classic. Oh, yeah. But, it, yeah. Uh, Simon, have you got a recipe for the week? Um, I don't think I have anything interesting. So uh, I've eaten a lot of um, bangers and mash this week. It's an absolutely simple mm. thing to, to make, especially if you're busy, which I have been. It's been a crazy week. Um, very easy to make. And the lovely thing about bangers and mash is you can turn the uh, the oil from the bangers into gravy. Oh, nice. Wow. Yeah. Nice. Splash a little alcohol in there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the alcohol is coming from uh, Jack Daniels, which is also <laughs> Well, I, 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 yeah. I have a suggestion for, um, for bangers and mash. Mustard, but not not mustard sauce. Mustard, like proper Dijon mustard. Yeah. Put that on your put that on your bangers. It's amazing. So yeah. interesting that you say that. The mashed potato that I make. Um, if you take uh, half a teaspoon of mustard and half a teaspoon of mayonnaise, and throw that into your mashed potato with uh, maybe half a cup of cheese, you get the most incredibly um, subtly flavored mashed potato. So one step ahead of you there. So amazing. Oh my word. <laughs> <laughs> I should have led with that. <laughs> yes. Yes. I've actually Simon's bangers and mash chips. Simon's banger and mash chips. <laughs> I've, I've got a I've got a, a rice recipe if you if you are, are interested for sticky good rice. Always interested. So it's something that I I always have started cooking with um, coconut oil now instead of any other. Because I oh, feel really? that, yes, it gives you the lightest texture. In fact, uh, sidebar, if you want the best popcorn, throw coconut oil in instead of anything else. And it will taste oh, like really? Yeah. yeah. I literally yeah. went out and got coconut oil about a week ago thinking I should start cooking with this. So it's, I'm it's, going really in that tone of voice. It's the best thing. So my, my, my rice recipe, okay, it's, 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 I have perfected this. So... If you have uh, any sort of heating utility that allows you to do a temperature-based heating, do that. So the steps to creating the best rice is take a <laughs> take a big or relatively big uh, tablespoon of uh, coconut oil, throw that in a pot, and let it melt on the floor. Then um, after that's melted, take boiling water. So you're going to boil your kettle. Take boiling water and more than enough for the, than the rice that you're going to cook. So you never let the, the water boil off. Pour a whole lot of boiling water in there and then get that to, to the lowest possible um, heating boil, if that makes sense. So I usually yeah. go around 130 degrees. Throw a... Um, throw a cupful of rice inside there and let it boil for 10 minutes at that really low boil, 10 to 14 minutes, depending on how sticky it was. But every two minutes or so, give it a little bit of a swirl, just a little swirly in. Then at the end of those uh, 10 to 14 minutes, throw it out, toss a bit of origanum on there, and you have the perfect rice. Ooh, sounds tasty. Oh, yeah. 
It's so Whoa. good. Whoa. Okay. On that bombshell, is there anything else, uh, anything you want to direct people to? Do you have a Twitter handle, a website that you'd like them to go to? Um, okay. Well, yeah. At TheGeekZN on Twitter and also LinkedIn and outdev.io. Our site is coming soon. But when it's up there, you're going to be entertained. Awesome. Thanks for joining us. Very good to be here. Thanks yeah, for having me. Very interesting.